Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to House of Horrors. I'm your host, Jonathan B. Lerner. Here on the Believe Podcast Network. The number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? What's up, everybody? My name is Jonathan B. Lerner with Believe in House of Horrors on the Believe Podcast Network. So on this show, we've talked about sequels a number of times. Good ones, bad ones, mostly bad ones, but not just sequels, but remakes. And I have to say, so we've talked about a film called The Shining. Because it's a great, great film. It's a Stanley Kubrick film. It's among the best pieces of filmmaking in the horror genre. And I have to say, folks, there's a sequel to The Shining that came out in 2019 called Dr. Sleep. And I have to say, you know, I was, I was skeptical of the book because it's very famously known that Stephen King does not like The Shining. We talked about it when we reviewed that film. He does not like Stanley Kubrick's film version of The Shining, I should specify, because of it's, you know, a number of reasons. Uh, Stanley Kubrick didn't strictly stick to the book, but that's not unusual. Um, ultimately, what Stephen King likes to say is that Stanley Kubrick's version was cold. You see, in my book the overlook hotel burns in his movie it freezes that's the difference warmth right here cold dirty bastard over there well first of all and i think i pointed this out when we reviewed the film that's not even true the overlook hotel doesn't freeze in stanley kubrick's movie Wrong. jack nicholson freezes so get your facts straight mr king okay <laughs> So when he wrote a sequel, when he wrote a sequel to his book, he only wrote the sequel like in 2013. It was not written back in the 80s or whenever, or 70s when The Shining came out. It was fairly new. So my fear was that he wrote this book kind of in response to Kubrick's growing. You know, The the Shining film has only become more popular over time. And I thought the sequel that Stephen King wrote was written in response and I thought oh god something weird's going to be it's not going to be very good and I also knew that the filmmaker was working closely with Stephen King and I thought look Stephen King already had a response to Kubrick's film in the form of his own film it's called The Shining it was a mini series and uh, I've seen I've seen parts of it you know it's not as bad as I thought it would be but it's it's complete and utter horseshit compared to Kubrick's film. Of course it would be. So Dr. Sleep, the film came out in 2019. I went to see it. And let's face it, I had low expectations. For one thing, I'm so sick of remakes. 
granted this isn't a remake, but these updated versions, these updated takes on familiar stories and storylines, they're just, you know, Pet Cemetery. they remade that. That's one of my favorite horror movies, one of my favorite movies of all time. The fucking re- remake I just thought was a catastrophe. And most are. And this, you know, I knew Coop, uh, Stephen King didn't like Kubrick's book. I knew all of that. I thought this was just going to be some kind of, I don't know, weird kind of dig on that whole thing. It wasn't. It wasn't. It did everything I've said sequels or remakes have to do to succeed. And it did more than what I've said they need to do. And it did it so well. It did it so well. I mean, just seeing the trailer, if you're a fan of Kubrick's film, just seeing the trailer got you giddy, honestly. But then you go to the theater back when people did that and the lights go down and just the way the film started gets you giddy. So right away, we're paying tribute. It's an homage. That is exactly not just the tune, the melody that you hear at the beginning of The Shining. That's the same instrumentation. That's damn near almost the same. It might even be the same audio recording. So immediately you're thinking, oh, you're taken back. You're excited. You recognize. And... From that point forward, I mean, the first scene, you're just excited from the very beginning. And there are so many things in this film that are, you know, little throwbacks and kind of tributes and little homages to the Shining film. And you can't help but just get giddy when you see them on there, see them pop up on the screen. For one thing, oh my God. First of all, it does a remarkable job because I definitely did think that this was either going to be, it couldn't be, it was going to be one of two things. It was either going to be a sequel to King's book and it was going to stay true to that storyline and those characters and what King wanted, or it was going to be a sequel to Kubrick's film. It could not be both. It would not it absolutely would not appease both fan bases, but it did. It did a remarkable job of appeasing both fan bases and and successfully being a true sequel to both the book and the film, which I thought, honestly, was damn near impossible. So we, you know, there are a number of flashback scenes, and in those flashback scenes, we, you know, revisit some of the characters we got to know and love from The Shining. And these actors... I don't know what to say. They were remarkable. The woman who played Wendy Torrance, Shelley Duvall's part, she, it was unbelievable, like, how well she was able to be, not Shelley Duvall, but Shelley Duvall's version of Wendy Torrance. Don't you do that to me. 
You hear? Don't you ever do that to me. And you know, it doesn't feel like she's doing some kind of parody. It's not like an imitation of Shelley Duvall's Wendy. It's the inflection, the, the, Danny, don't you do that to me, you hear? Like always nervous, always scared, always frantic. And just even when she, the earlier when she was calm, like, you have to talk to, to me. me, Danny. Please. Please, Doc. I mean, just kind of like desperate. and It was pitch perfect. And you also heard in those clips, when you hear that ping, 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 that, you cannot hear that and not be taken back to The Shining. The score, which wasn't, it didn't use classical pieces per se, like Kubrick always did, but there were sounds throughout this film that I, you know, you can just, can only be described as The Shining, sounds from The Shining. The second you would hear them, you were taken back. You were taken back and you loved being taken back. That's the other thing. It didn't feel like this was like a, you know, with a wink and a smile being like, you know, hey, remember this? All of the tributes and nods to The Shining were, they fit into the storyline. They made sense. It wasn't purely for nostalgic purposes but boy it certainly did play to those let me tell you and the sounds were probably the most most shining like that it really took you back overlook hotel speaking to you through sound and you know the shining score it was famously you know mostly classical pieces with some electronic music intertwined but it was also famous for having sound the sound of heartbeats and you know tapping and ding 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 like the dropping of a top or something and get just these weird sounds and that was it you cannot hear that and not be taken back to the overlook and the what made this so remarkable is that this film was not just like, it was not a remake. It was a true sequel and it had its, it was its own movie. It had a completely separate plot, mostly uh, of devoid of the Overlook. It didn't take place there. Um, it had a ton of new characters, a whole new storyline. It was not just, you know, it was no family member coming, going crazy, being isolated and coming after you. It had nothing to do with the original storyline. And yet, for one reason or another, and you'll have to see the film to figure out why, but towards the end, for one reason or another, we did have to go back. And it was, I'm, I, it was like a kid in a candy store. I felt like a young, giddy schoolgirl because they had to go back to the Overlook. Where are we? Ohio. Where are we going? Colorado. Why Colorado? There's a place. A place that's dangerous for people like us. The place you told me about? 
And you can see they're driving. Wine, it starts to snow. They're suddenly in a mountain and in a winding road. And you can just tell where they're headed. And you, every second you're getting more giddy. Not the Overlook to start. Oh God, the theme, the Diacide. Suddenly we see the exact filming, the same views and the same camera angles flying over that lake with that little island, just like in The Shining, except now it's nighttime. Oh God, it was so fucking awesome. (laughs) And then you hear that... Boom, 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 boom. And you, you're just thrilled. I keep saying that word, but it was. It was thrilling. And the attention to detail that they put into remake, like rebuilding these sets. And again, I have to emphasize this because what made the film good was not simply, you know, you loved The Shining and you got to see The Shining parts. It was not. It was its own film, 100%. But... For the parts that did involve the Overlook, the attention to detail and recreating these sets was unbelievable. These were not real places, by the way. You know, in The Shining, the exterior of the Overlook Hotel was based off of the Timberland Lodge in Mount Hood, Oregon. The interior was based, with the design was based off of like the Ahuahi Hotel in, I think, Yosemite Park. But those were sets. Those were built on sound stages in England. So it's not like they could go to these locations and just film there and, you know, that would be pretty easy. They had to rebuild these sets and they were huge and elaborate. And it was awesome. And I, you know, it, the acting was great. And it was just, in the, I liked the new elements that were added. I thought they did a great job of that. And, you know... We got to see all of our friends from the Overlook. Hello, Danny. They weren't overused. They could have, you know, they easily could have been overused. And some people probably might have thought, felt that it was. Um, you know, I think that some people felt like there were, I'm trying to think, there was a, a couple of reviews that said it relies way too much on borrowed inspiration. If you know what I mean. Basically, it just, you know, the best parts of it are just reshoots of Kubrick. But that's not true. It's really not true. It's a remarkable job of actually intertwining the new characters, the new storyline. And hey, it's not like the Overlook is not in the book. It is. They do reference what happened because that's what makes Danny who he is. In Dr. Sleep, Danny Torrens is now an adult and he's a recovering alcoholic He works as an orderly and he uses his powers to help the dying patients. Anyway, something bad happens and he has to return to the Overlook. And it's just, I I love it. It, You know, it was one of the only films I've seen, a modern film with any association to uh, an older film that I love, that I wasn't completely disappointed by. And, uh, and, you know, to be fair, 
it may have been partly because I went in with low expectations, but I listened or I watched the movie in the theater. I was real. I loved it. And then I thought, you know, maybe, maybe it was just all those kind of nods to the shining that got me excited and kind of skewed my viewpoint. So I watched it again just very recently and no, I loved it. I loved it. I told you the girl who played Wendy was remarkable. There was also a, a man who played Dick Holleran, originally played by Scatman Crothers. And he, even more so, it, you know, I mentioned how the woman playing Wendy, it wasn't a parody, it wasn't an imitation. Well, with the guy playing Dick Holleran, even more so, because it wasn't, he wasn't even hitting all the inflections like Wendy was. But you, not for a second, did you doubt that that was Dick Holleran. Pictures in a book. You said there were just pictures in a book and they couldn't hurt me. Some things, dark things. The Shining's like food. The Overlook, it was always just pictures to me. But I didn't shine like you. Nobody shines like you. How'd you like some ice cream, Doc? No, I anyway, I loved it. I highly recommend this film. It's, as Nicholas Barber of the BBC said, it's credible in its characterization, rich in mythological detail, and touchingly sincere in its treatment of alcoholism and trauma. The film is impressive in all sorts of ways, but its greatest achievement is that it makes The Shining seem like a prequel, a tantalizing glimpse of a richer and more substantive narrative. Yes, and... uh Chris Hewitt of Empire said, quote, working off source material that is very different from its predecessor, anyone expecting a straightforward Shining sequel will be disappointed. This isn't a grueling exercise in pure horror. It's odder and more contemplative, but worth checking in. And that's not even a glowing review, but it's true. It's true, I say. So if I had to give it a rating between one and five, one being the worst, five being the best, for a sequel, I would give it a five. I mean, sequels are not generally good. They really aren't. You know, a sequel can be a good continuation of a former, of a past storyline, but this was something totally different. First of all, it's a beloved film. People are obsessed with The Shining, Kubrick's film. I mean, there's an entire documentary. I mean, if you are a fan of The Shining, you got to check this out. There's a documentary called Room 237, it is from start to finish. I can't believe how like well the documentary has done because from start to finish, it is just crazy people, really smart, really successful, crazy people talking about these crazy theories they have when it comes to this film. It's like some college professor and intellectual talks about how he sees this as, oh, well, this is a comment on the Holocaust, clearly, because Kubrick did this and he's wearing that sweater and blah, 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 blah. Someone else thinks it's a comment on how we treated the American Indians. Maybe a little bit, a little bit, but they're just talking about these random theories they have with no proof, and they're very out there. But anyway, the point is, it's a perfect example of how people are obsessed with this film. And I know I'm a huge fan of it. It's certainly not to the point where I've come up with concoctions in my head about, well, why did he do this? And what was he thinking on the Thursday of this shoot? Like, who gives a fuck? 
but I am a huge fan of the film and I went in with low expectations, partly because I'm a huge fan of the film and no, that was turned around to me because I loved the film, the first film, it pulled me in with these nods to it. And then it won me over by being totally separate entity, a whole new film of its own. So I would give it a five out of five. And if you were to ask me when you should go out and see this film, all I could say is... As soon as possible. As soon as possible. If you enjoy this show, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Actually, I guess iTunes doesn't technically exist anymore. Apple Podcasts, or whatever it's called. We're also available on Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, basically wherever podcasts are found. If you can find podcasts there, you can find us there. Follow us on Twitter. We're at B-Leave, that's capital B-L-E-A-V, podcasts. And of course, feel free to follow me. I'm at J-O-N-B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R, that's J-O-N, no H. B as in boy, L-E-R-N-E-R. That's my handle on Twitter, Instagram, all that fun stuff. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.